0: Listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He's given you, according to Ephesians 5, a love for God-centered music. He's excited you to sing. You want to express your praise to God, and it's a command.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What are the two primary heart attitudes we as Christians must have when we sing and offer worship to the Lord? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. The New Testament teaches that true worship is that which flows out of the heart of every believer. As Christians, when we sing to the Lord, we must not only do so audibly, but also from the heart, wholehearted, focused singing. And second, we must direct our music and singing to our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to intentionally direct our worship to Him. As you'll see today, God loves it when His people worship Him through music and singing in spirit and in truth. So it's time for a heart check as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed.
0: Kenaniah, chief of the Levites, was in charge of the singing. He gave instruction in singing because he was skillful. He himself was skilled, and he instructed others so that they could do it and do it well. 1 Chronicles 25, 7, their number who were trained in singing to the Lord with their relatives, all who were skillful, was 288. 2 Chronicles 34, 12, all who were skillful with musical instruments. It's interesting, the Jewish Mishnah says that choir members for the temple choir had a five-year training period before they were allowed to sing in the actual choir. Five years of preparation. Well, we don't insist on that, but let me put it very clearly and bluntly. Musicians that are unprepared… And music that is done poorly because of a lack of diligence doesn't honor Christ, and it distracts from true worship. Psalm 33.3 says, play skillfully with a shout of joy. Play skillfully implies that you have the inherent ability, that you have worked to develop that skill and ability, and that you consistently rehearse and practice so that you're ready to do what God has gifted and called you to do. So... In the Old Testament, the musicians' requirements, they had to be true believers, they had to have skill and regular practice, and thirdly, they had to be engaged in intentional worship. First Chronicles 23.5 again says, the 4,000 Levites assigned to lead in music and worship were praising the Lord. You see, regardless of the style of music, and I've seen this violated with both traditional and even classical kinds of music as well as contemporary music, regardless of the style of music, the actual presentation of the vocalists and the musicians is very important. Pretentious performances calculated to garner the praise of the audience distract from the ultimate purpose of the music, which is the glory of God. Paul understood this even in his preaching. In his preaching, Paul deliberately chose not to speak with cleverness of speech, as he called it in 1 Corinthians 17. He had acquired some skills in classical rhetoric, but he said, I'm not going to use those in my ministry to God's people. In the same way, musicians involved in leading worship have a responsibility to reject a performance mindset often acquired in their training. The goal of the musicians involved in leading in worship must always be the natural, undistracting excellence that draws the listener's attention to the Lord and to His truth. So there is the Old Testament pattern of music and worship. It included musical instruments. Choirs, vocalists, music directors, and congregational singing. And it was all done by believers who were skilled and rehearsed and committed to leading God's people in genuine and real worship. But that brings us to the really important question Is the Old Testament pattern that we have just studied together supposed to be the pattern for the New Testament church? So let's consider for a few moments the arguments for those Old Testament elements being part of the worship of the New Testament church. You see, let's admit that there are some, even some that we respect, who look at the New Testament record and conclude that the New Testament church shouldn't use those resources. They shouldn't use instruments. They shouldn't use choirs in worship. John Calvin, for example, advocated singing only the biblical psalms without instruments. Here's what, he wrote. Here's what he wrote. He said, musical instruments were among the legal ceremonies which Christ at His coming abolished, and therefore we under the gospel must maintain a, a greater simplicity, In quote. In other words, he's saying those elements like choirs, music directors, instruments are all part of the ceremonial aspect of God's law, just like the priests and the sacrifices, and should not be a part of our worship. The Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli argued that all music should be excluded from corporate worship. Calvin's argument, as I said, was that the instruments and choirs were allowed in Old Testament Israel, they were part of the ceremonial law, but since instruments are not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament. Under the regulative principle that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, they must be excluded from worship. Is that true? Well, I certainly respect Calvin, but I think there are several compelling biblical arguments for using the Old Testament elements such as instruments, choirs, and vocalists in the New Testament worship of the church. These aren't all the arguments, but let me give you the three that just, for me, seal the deal. Number one, the New Testament does not repeal the Old Testament divine commands regarding music and worship. Remember, God prescribed the use of instruments, choirs, and music directors in the Old Testament, and no New Testament text forbids the use of those things in worship. Now, before you you argue with me, let me add to that, nowhere... Does the New Testament connect these things we're talking about regarding music to the ceremonial law like it clearly does with sacrifices, priests, feasts, and even the Sabbath? So the use of instruments in worship is not like the ceremonial laws. Those things are explicitly set aside in the New Testament. On the other hand, these things are clearly commanded by God and are not set aside by the New Testament. There's a second argument for using musical instruments in corporate worship, and that is the New Testament command to sing psalms has within it an implied approval of musical instruments. You would agree that in the New Testament, God commands the New Testament church to sing psalms, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. And the psalms Prescribe the use of instruments in worship. They do so in several ways. They do so in the titles of the Psalms. Now, let me just say the titles of the Psalms in our Bible, those are ancient. They're in the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament that was done 200 years before Christ. So these titles existed 200 years before Christ, and the translators struggle with some of the terms. So they were old enough that some of the, the words were old enough that the translator didn't know, didn't know what they meant and so they were very old in fact the the Jewish people considered the titles part of the canon of scripture and included them in the body of the Hebrew text they're even numbered as a verse which makes it really difficult for Hebrew students in seminary but Our Lord and the apostles considered the titles authoritative and built biblical and theological arguments on them. Now, when you understand all of that, it's compelling that many of the psalm titles call for the inspired psalms to be sung with musical accompaniment. Look at Psalm 4, for example. Psalm 4, for the choir director, on stringed instruments, a psalm of David… Psalm 5, for the choir director, for flute accompaniment, a Psalm of David. Psalm 6, for the choir director with stringed instruments upon an eight-string lyre, a Psalm of David, and so forth. By the way, fifty-five of the Psalms are addressed to the choir director, which means they were to be sung in corporate worship under the direction of a choir director with a choir I think that sanctions the use of choir and music directors as well. The Psalms also prescribe the use of music, not only in the use of instruments in music, not only in their titles, but also in the content of the Psalms themselves. For example, Psalm 33:2: 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, sing praises to Him. And by the way, sing praises to Him in the Septuagint, is, the word used is salo. And in Ephesians 5.19, that same word is translated, make melody. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Psalm 98, verses 5 and 6, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the King, the Lord. Turn to Psalm 92. Psalm 92 Verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name on Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night with the ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. Now, notice that all of that is said, look back at the title of this psalm, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. This was to be done on the Jewish Sabbath. They were to sing with instruments. This was part of what's included in the content of the Psalms. But not only do we see this in the titles of the Psalms and in the content of the Psalms, but the word Psalms itself teaches us this. Both the Hebrew word for Psalms In the Old Testament, and the Greek word in the Septuagint and the New Testament can mean to sing accompanied by strings. So the very command to sing psalms is at least permission and perhaps a command to use musical instruments. Harold Honer, whose magisterial work on the book of Ephesians uh, is a, a great resource in the study of this of this letter, the Ephesian letter, writes this, although one cannot be dogmatic, the New Testament church may have followed the Old Testament and Judaistic practice as it had in other instances by singing the Psalms with a stringed instrument. In fact, turn to Ephesians 5 because what Paul says here is most interesting. Ephesians 5, and look at verse 19. We've pulled a lot from this verse, but there's more here. Notice the, song, the uh, verse begins, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Obviously, to speak is to use the human voice, but he means speaking specifically. Notice the next word, singing. The Greek word for singing is the normal word for using the human voice in music. But then he adds, and making melody. Now, why include both singing and making melody if they mean exactly the same thing? It's possible that he did that on purpose, but the truth is there's a nuance of difference between these words. Singing refers to producing music with the human voice. Making melody is literally psalming. The word can and often does mean to pluck a stringed instrument. By using both of these words here, it's very possible, I think likely, that Paul was referring to singing and the use of instruments. But there's a third argument for the use of instruments in worship that I think seals the deal for me, and it's this. The practice of heaven is to use musical instruments in worship. In heaven, the church worships God with singing, accompanied by instruments. Revelation 5, verses 8 and 9, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, as we're studying Revelation, we've learned they represent the church, they fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp, and they sang a new song. Now, if the use of instruments was in fact part of the ceremonial law that was fulfilled with the coming of Christ, why in the world are they duplicating that around the throne of God, and we will do that forever? That makes no sense. While I respect those like Calvin and others who come to different conclusions, I simply cannot agree with them. To me and to the other elders of this church, The biblical evidence is completely overwhelming that it is acceptable not only to use the human voice, but all kinds of musical instruments that exist to praise God. Martin Luther in 1541 presented a Bible to an organist, a man named Wolf Hines. And in the front of that Bible, Luther wrote Psalm 149, and then he wrote these words, The stringed instruments of the Psalms are to help in the singing of this new song, that is the song about the gospel. And Wolf Hines and all pious Christian musicians should let their singing and playing to the praise of the Father of all grace sound forth with joy from their organs and whatever other beloved musical instruments there are recently invented and given by God, of which neither David nor Solomon, neither Persia, Greece, nor Rome knew anything. Amen. End quote. He's exactly right. That is what the Bible teaches. So those are the the resources that are available to us in the corporate worship and music. There's one final insight, a seventh insight Scripture gives us, I want us to consider very briefly, and that is the biblical attitudes for music in worship. I've touched on these, but I I want to come back and focus on them. There are two primary heart attitudes that we should have in music and worship, together and individually. First, sing and play with your heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 again, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, with your heart. That prepositional phrase explains how we're to sing and how we're to play. Your heart is your entire inner self, your immaterial being. That means a couple of things. That means that worship and music should not be half-hearted. It should be wholehearted with energy, with enthusiasm. You know that's a pet peeve of mine, and I've already addressed it. Listen, sing out to God, but the fact that to be with your heart also means something else very important, and that is it shouldn't be merely external, it should be internal. It should be genuine. It should be sincere. Colossians 3.16, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Our music should be with our hearts and from our hearts. As I mentioned last week, as Jesus taught the Samaritan woman, our worship, including our worship in music, must be in spirit. That is, with our spirits, must be internal, authentic, passionate active. That means you're not just moving your lips. It means your heart is engaged and participating. In fact, singing that is not from our hearts, accompanied by a heart that's truly obedient to Christ and shows that in our lives, that kind of singing disgusts God. Turn back to the prophet Amos. Amos makes this so clear. In a passage that's a famous passage, but often taken out of context, Amos chapter five, verse twenty-one. God speaking to Israel, and He says, "I hate, I reject your festivals; nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings." He's saying, "Listen." I, don't, I, I know you're coming to do what I commanded you. You say you're here to worship. Your body's showing up, but your heart isn't. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. He's saying, listen, your, your body's there, but your heart's not engaged, and your life is not a life of obedience and worship. Instead, verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He's saying, let your life and how you live reflect a heart of worship so that when you come to worship me, it's not just your body that shows up, it's your heart that shows up. When we sing, we're to be sincere, authentic. We must really mean what we're singing to God. And we certainly shouldn't just be standing there, not singing at all. Listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He's given you, according to Ephesians 5, a love for God-centered music. He's excited you to sing. You want to express your praise to God, and it's a command. As I've said, some people say to me, well, Tom, you don't understand, I can't sing. Listen, neither can most pop musicians, (laughs) but look how far it's taken them. No, seriously, I get it, you know, and and let me just say, if you're one of those very few people who seriously cannot carry a tune, even if you had a bucket, then sing out wholeheartedly just quietly so you don't distract the people around you. But that's not true of most people. If you can sing, sing out loudly, not so your neighbor hears you alone, although there is that horizontal aspect of worship. But so God is pleased that you're singing with your whole heart. There's one other attitude. Not only are we to sing with our hearts, sing and play to our Lord, to our Lord. Look again at Ephesians 5.19, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. The Greek word for Lord is kurios. Every time it's used in the book of Ephesians, it refers to Jesus Christ. As we sing and as we play, we must intentionally direct our worship to our Lord just as if He were standing among us. You know what that means? When we start to sing a song, I have to do this. I do this all the time. When we start to sing a song, tell yourself in your brain, I need to sing this as to Christ Himself. And then when your mind wanders during the song, and it will, bring it back. Remind yourself, you're singing to the Lord. You're focusing your heart on Him. Our Lord Himself must be central in our worship. Worship and music must be a priority for every one of us because God commands it. And it's to be offered from our hearts to the Father and to the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, music existed before the creation of the world. The angels sang at the creation, and as I've shared with you, I believe it's very possible That music wasn't created, but it is an eternal expression of the heart of God. Music is to be the preoccupation of our lives here. It's to be part of our worship individually and corporately, and music will be in heaven. So learn now, practice now. You will be singing to the Lord with your heart to the Lord for all eternity. That's what we are called to do. This is the heart of our worship. It's the Word of God, and it's taking the Word of God and turning it into songs addressed to God. May God make us individually and corporately a people who love God-centered music.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 8 of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will bring you Part 9 next time, and we hope you'll join us then. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us?
0: If you've been with us as we've walked our way through the series, then you've learned that music and singing is absolutely crucial to the Christian life. If you've been saved by Jesus Christ then the fruit of that salvation will be the desire to engage in music and singing in worship. It's so important that we never allow our interaction with music and with singing to become some sort of uh, routine, robotic, just going through the motions. Instead, you and I must work hard to consistently be engaged from the heart as we sing praises to God, just as true with any discipline in the Christian life. It takes maximum effort. It takes hard work to create good habits, but the payoff is worth it because our Lord is honored. So sing from your heart as unto Him.
1: Thanks, Tom. And Fred, does the Bible speak about the government and structure of the church In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, Exalting God's Glory